Welcome to the Conscious Mental Health Podcast for mental health professionals who are always learning. The Conscious Mental Health Podcast is a series of diverse educational resources for mental health professionals sponsored by the Academy of Integrative Mental Health. The Academy expands knowledge to professionals in the mental health community and beyond using a conscious, experiential, and evidence-based format. Our mission is to deliver comprehensive health and wellness to all by empowering personal and professional growth and confidence. We believe continuing education is an essential aspect of mental health care that is ever evolving and changing, just like the communities we serve. The CMH podcast is part of our efforts to increase access to modern experiential knowledge across all stages of a clinician's career. We share engaging conversations with skilled therapists, multidisciplinary experts, and advocates committed to thinking outside the box using an integrative approach. Our episodes are similar to our training style in that you receive research-informed content and guided practices, news updates, and other segments to support you in your personal and clinical practice. This podcast is intended to provide information as a resource and is not a substitute for mental health treatment, medical advice, or professional training. And the statements and views shared by the guest are their own. Hi there, this is Laurel Sims-Stewart, content developer with the Academy of Integrative Mental Health, here to introduce this conversation with our director, Juniper Owens, and her guest, Nancy Gershman. In this episode, Juniper and Nancy discuss Nancy's work as a psychotherapist and memory artist, and the modalities she created known as dreamscaping. Nancy shares about her personal journey to becoming a psychotherapist and creating dreamscaping, as well as how the model can be used to foster healing from grief, trauma, and so much more. It was fascinating for me to get to listen to Nancy's process. But before we get into today's conversation, here are a few quick updates from the Academy. Are you searching for some CEUs that you'll actually be glad you paid for? Our signature certification course, Three Core Integrative, is approved for professional CEUs for many different U.S. states and professional licensures. 3CI is our training program to become a certified integrative mental health professional with the credentials of IMHP. Our model transcends the three most research-backed components of the integrative and holistic approach to mental health care, mindfulness, movement, and nutrition. You will learn not only research and theory, but practical tools and interventions you can utilize in your practice. Or looking for something a little shorter, our single subject courses, Nutrition for Mental Health Professionals, Mindfulness for Mental Health Professionals, or Movement for Mental Health Professionals are also all approved for CEUs. To learn more about whether your professional license and state are CEU eligible, visit www.academyimh.com education. Also, are you searching for a holiday gift for that amazing colleague in your life, but don't really want to get them another pair of fuzzy socks? Check out our resource pack collection. It's all of our resource starter packs together in one bundle for $20 off the original price. This collection is an amazing library of over 20 journaling prompts, client worksheets, mind-body practices that you can use in sessions and for yourself, and more. And if you sign up for our newsletter, you also get access to the curated playlist that goes along with the theme of each starter pack. And finally, remember that all of our podcast listeners can get 10% off of any individual course or starter pack, including 3CI, with the code CONVERSATIONS. All right, that's it for our updates. Now let's join Juniper and Nancy for today's conversation. Hi, my name is uh, Nancy Gershman. I'm a clinical social worker and I work at a group practice called BAVA, therapy group in New York City. 
a lot of people uh, would never guess that I actually uh, was in my past life in a career where suspending disbelief and uh, um, sort of, uh, you know, making big things of the underdog were very, very important um, or uh, placing value on incongruity. And that career was advertising. I was an advertising copywriter. And it was only um, actually in my 40s that I stumbled across uh, this this, uh, modality that I created called Dreamscaping. So quickly, you discovered this modality while in advertising or after you were in Well, it was was the... Yeah, it was um, it was actually um, at the point when there was the dot com bust. And uh, I knew that um, uh, my division was going to be uh, closed. And so all I had was copying and pasting, which I had uh, which was photo collage. And I had always, you know, resorted to that when I was having a nervous breakdown in advertising. Wow. And um, there was a content manager there uh, who had just buried her father and the other siblings just loathed him because they felt that he had neglected the family and their mother. And um, she knew that I, I was always doing this sort of cutting and pasting. And, uh, and I, uh, and I, I took a gander at it and I sort of developed my interviewing protocol and, um, and creating this, um, this scene, it, it, it was more than just fragments, but it was more a scene one could enter. That was the kind of photo collage it was. And I had just taught myself Photoshop to make it seamless. So I would use the actual photographs of the client and also stand in photographs for the things that we needed. But what I wanted to do was I wanted to get across her belief that their father was just um, was just filled with wanderlust. He could not stay home. It was a character trait of his. I, I didn't know anything really about psychology per se, but so this is this is what eventually flowered into dreamscaping and prescriptive memory making. Wow. And I can't wait to hear more about yeah, that process for you. And then so I'm hearing that you you stumbled across this and then you went to school. Um, to- no. Oh, OK. <laughs> I, did, I did everything backwards. Everything. Uh, so what happened was um, I, I had always been attending the Association for Death Education and Counseling, which is called ADEC. And I ha- that's where I had been getting my education on grief and loss, because this client was a grief and loss uh, client. But she wasn't really a client. She was a customer, I should say. <laughs> and I was really a, only a vendor at that point. And um, and then I asked at ADEC, there was uh, the famous uh, MD Chochinov, who works in hospice uh, care, what was there. And I said, where should I train? Uh, where should I get my clinical experience? And he said, uh, visiting nurse service. Uh, of New York and also uh, Mount Sinai. And I worked at both of those as a bereavement volunteer. And then I wrote a book based on all the cases, more than 200 cases that I had at, at visiting nurses in New York. How to use it, you know, it, ostensibly, you know, it, you know, it's for the client, but in fact, I was using it for the family, right? For the bereaved to be. Oh, wow. Oh, my. That's so interesting. And then I went to school. Right. (laughs) No, but I love that because like, yeah, you had a vision. Sometimes, you know, I used to teach at the bachelor's level for social work and sometimes the students would come in. They had no idea kind of what they wanted to do or how they wanted to explore this field. And you you really had an idea. You were very focused on this path of working with grief. And I want to get more into that, but let's kind of start to dive in about this process that you developed quite, it sounds quite naturally and out of your, you know, out of the work that you were doing before. And I was, you know, I think I told you this before in one of our previous conversations, but when I saw your LinkedIn profile and just dreamscaping, I I immediately was intrigued. I was like, what is this? This is so interesting. And also I started to do some research on what this was on your website. And so it kind of describes dreamscaping as 
imaginal and photo-based approach to treating grief and loss, imaginal and photo-based, supported by the way memories get encoded in the brain. Uh, And I'm just going to read just a little more and then we can get more into it. Or I can speak to um, why is it called imaginal? Why is it called photo-based? Why do I separate the two? Do you mind? I would love that. So that's because there are two different ways to um, uh, to begin the interview. So one one would be just to explore what the unmet need is by by asking the client uh, what you know what what were the most positive felt sense memories they had of their relationship with this person. So it it could also be a pet. It could be a homeland, you know, it, it, and or it could be um, a sense of their self, you know, in their um, uh, in their younger years. So when we do that, and then we look for the prescriptive memory in the uh, in the brainstorming portion, that is the imaginal uh, aspect because we are uh, we're we're taking a memory. We might be augmenting it or embellishing it. And uh, and what I want them to do is I want them to walk around in this memory in their heads. And if they should want to have a tangible version of it, that's when it turns into the photo based version of dreamscaping, where we're actually going to construct this faux photograph based on the movie in their brain. And and that's what becomes the dreamscape. So the process is dreamscaping. And it, it, I gave it that name at the time because it followed the dream logic of, our, uh, you know, it, it followed dream logic, essentially. And, um, and that means that, you know, that things would be incongruous, but it's exactly that kind of novelty that launches memory reconsolidation. So that's what ties into the, uh, the encoding in the brain. Uh, that's mm-hmm. that's what typically uh, will launch it. Yes, and and yeah, I want to get so I really want to get into the process of this because, but I think kind of to build up to that, it might be helpful to get a sense of yeah, what's happening when the you and the client or the like, and you, you can talk about the process when they are remembering this this felt sense, this memory. You talked about how it's starting to do some work in the brain. Can you get a little bit more into that? Right. Well, so the, the um, you know, you've heard of Eugene Genlin, maybe some of you, uh, who was the founder of focusing. And so basically he's the one who invented the, the expression felt sense memory. So we're asking them not only to uh, to think about taste, you know, smell and, and so forth, all the senses, but also it's the cultivation of what feels good. You know how we say disassociation in the field? Well, uh, a friend of mine in Belgium, she coined the, the expression reassociation. I mean, that's es- essentially what we're doing. We're reassociating them to, to what generates maybe a humor response uh, or, or, you know, a positive emotional charge. And uh, so, okay, in the session, what's happening is they're remembering a memory and then you might see um, you might see them wince, or there might be some twinge of sadness, and that's that's what you explore. So even though people might say initially, "Oh, dreamscaping," just you know, plumbing the positive, how could that possibly uh, smoke out an unmet need? But in fact, it does, because when you ask some individuals what their most positive memory is, sometimes they even co-op another. They, they co-op the deceased actual memory, you know, positive memory, not their own. I know that sounds a bit odd, but uh, sometimes they will, they'll recall that and uh, they'll say, you know, uh, and dad was so proud and he was so, you know, he was so excited. And I actually have, um, I have that uh, on my website so you can check it out. And I had a, a chaplain who had to go through seven different uh, recollections of him and his father before we found the positive memory that was truly his own, that he hadn't made his father happy, he had made himself happy. And so it's not as simple as it looks. 
Yeah. And, and now that you speak of that, it does make sense that when people do talk about the loss, yeah, sometimes, if, especially if it's a person or an animal or even a space, like as place, like you said, yeah, it's about that, like attributes or how they, but like an actual, you know, having that memory, I can see, and you said it helps to meet an unmet need. And I'm curious of how that works with the grief and the bereavement. Well, process. it's, it, yes. So the, definitely the, the, the imaginal prescriptive memory or the tangible dreamscape, which is just a prescriptive memory now as a photo collage or photo montage. Yes. So they, it, it is to, it is to take care of the unmet need but it might also be just a way to to clarify and expose a complicated relationship and how uh, there's nothing that they would have actually had control over at the time. So much the same way EMDR works, right? So you can see the truth for for what it was. Uh, so that in that sense, it's um, it can be very transformative for them. Mm, yeah, yeah, and. Uh, and before we get more into what the process um, entails and what that's like for both the therapist and the client, um, if that's the terms that you use, I'd, I'd be curious of the different mo- now that, you know, you you came up with this, probably you said you didn't have formal training, but it sounds like you definitely had a lot of experience in working with grief. Um, so I'm curious now, kind of after years of doing this and the whole schooling and all of that, what would you say are some of the modalities that go into this process or are there any, like, did you just kind of, you know what? I think that it was my skill as an interviewer from advertising that actually uh, helped me develop what is now, you know, this semi-directive protocol Uh, because I, I definitely remain myself totally myself I do not have sort of that um, that distancing that is maybe more typically associated uh with um you know with a therapist uh, uh I I take more to, more of a motivational interviewing vibe uh like a long lost friend like a confidant and I I encourage them to encourage the client to uh, talk about uh, talk about the past, and we just keep following a path where they um, they got they got more joy. Because in many cases, we're talking about a grieving person is disconnected from their joy, right? And so, uh, so I, I have I have that vibe, but I'm also doing resourcing, and sometimes they they may come with photographs to begin with, but in most cases they have the most salient photographs already in their mind, and um, and and it does not matter, uh, you know, as I've, I've said in many of my trainings, what the actual truth is. All that matters is the emotional truth. So it doesn't matter whether there was a witness. Uh, there doesn't, it, it doesn't matter if this is a memory they've made up based on a photograph. None of that matters. So that's what we follow. And that's the kind of uh, resourcing. Before I even knew what the word resourcing was, I was just following their joy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So then there's the felt sense memory, and then there's the rescripting. Okay, you have this this wonderful memory. Is there something that we could do with that memory? Um, it, you know, for example, in my book, I cite a story where uh, the young girl uh, recalls that her younger brother, such a tiny little guy, you know, would stand on a ladder at the sink, uh, and he would do the dishes, which really should have been her job. And he died. He died. Um, uh, as a child, and and she had a lot of grief over that. So, what can you do to this memory of him at the sink? And and so that's where we start the rescripting. And then once they have it again in in their mind movie, I say, uh, okay, walk me through it. And and then you can see again in their affect whether it worked or not. And then uh, and then you say, okay, what what didn't seem true to you in that memory? And so they rescript it again. And that's how we end up. 
Yeah. And in your, um, on your website, I saw that, you know, this modality you've been finding is, um, can be, you know, utilized beyond grief. So I'm really curious of who is a good fit for this modality as you're talking, I'm already thinking like some people that are trauma survivors that have like intrusive memories and images. So yeah, I'm really curious of who is a good yeah. fit for this. I worked with the eating disorder. I have a, a good friend who's an art psychotherapist in Pittsburgh. And um, she really wanted to use my technique as a, a reminder of what they did in, in session, because very often the eating disorder, they have to uh, have like a checklist. Like once you go down this this spiral, you, you know, you start getting tired, then you lose your appetite. I mean, it, it's all, always different, the checklist. So then we start to do it in a visual form. And, uh, you know, there, there's, I think there are some examples on my site. Uh, when you go to the gallery page, there's a drop down, and you can see the eating disorder uh, ones. And uh, it, it can be very nice to work in you know, their best use of themselves. That's that's the rescripting part. And sometimes I would make a dreamscape no bigger than a than a business card so that they could take it out of their wallet when they're in the cafeteria or or you know when they're at you know at home and just have a visual reminder of what they need to do. Hmm. That's really interesting. And so yeah, I'm hearing that like after the initial, like, yeah. So let's kind of get into to this, like the, the process, is it multiple sessions, one session, because I'm hearing that with the rescripting piece, this is utilized far beyond just that session alone. The, the thing that nobody believed me uh, about was that it is really a short-term intervention. It's, it's short term. I have never known it to last more than three sessions, which probably is mind blowing. But now I can say quite honestly, um, you know, as, as, as a, a therapist, I've done it in therapy by sharing the screen, you know, uh, going on um, Flickr, for example, a photo sharing site and finding a stand in image that will uh, will work in the prescriptive memory that we've created uh, together in session. We can do that part, the interview and the brainstorming in one session, and then the completion of, of the tangible dreamscape could be in the second and third. Mm. Now, there are different ways to work as well. So uh, if I have a client who already knows Photoshop or who likes photoclage, they could make one and I could make one in parallel. Or we could do it together. I could help them find images and then they assemble it. Or we do it completely, you know, uh, jointly, you know, uh, just in, in, I could suggest uh, ideas and then they, they give, you know, they, they uh, uh, give me feedback on whether it feels right or not. And, you know, I really appreciate you saying about the short term or kind of just maybe one session you can have this experience because I do think it's important to to note that, yeah, you don't have to spend hours and hours and hours and months and years on, you know, one process. And so I really appreciate that because it sounds specific and um that and and that being said, is there anyone that's grieving or not grieving, like in another uh, coming for another reason that wouldn't be a good fit for for this process? Um, yes, uh, anybody who is within two months of their uh, of their grief or traumatic grief would not be a candidate uh, because the. Um, the, the mind is 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 very chaotic at that point, and uh, uh, and they they may not be able to access their memories quite as much because you know physiologically what happens to a grieving person, um, so uh, that that would be difficult. Also, a Holocaust survivor who doesn't have. Um, you know, who doesn't have any photographs uh, and where the destruction of property might have been, you know, particularly painful. Um, I haven't I haven't done this yet, but I'm just saying that sometimes it, it, it can be sort of on the border, even though we could do it imaginally. It might it might be uh, yet too painful. Mm -hmm. uh, 
you know, the same thing as like what's happening with you, you know, uh, with those in Ukraine. Uh, it, 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 it might be too early to actually um, go into uh, more than than just um, the idea of trying to remember positive memories. And the, the problem is that it becomes very painful to start looking at photographs when you're grieving, right? Uh, they I, I use the term calcified in grief. And so that's what dreamscaping exists for, to kind of break that calcification by, by um, helping people really remember viscerally how much happiness they, they ha- that has been overshadowed by the grief. Mm-hmm. I appreciate you saying it that way because, yeah, that, that calcification, I, that's a really great um, word to describe how, yeah, and I'm, I'm, I'm sure there's physiological reasons for that, you know, and societal. I don't think in general society has a lot of space for grief as far as grieving public, publicly. It seems that it's like something that people really tend to have to do alone, at least in cultures or societies or communities that I'm in. Oh, that that um, if if you let me jump for a second, I think that is a, a great um, jumping off point to talk about uh, why there is a tangible version of the prescriptive memory, yes. uh, right? Because um, the the problem is that um, many uh, clients they've alienated themselves. That's one thing they might have alienated themselves by being very hermit like. So there's the alienation part where they might be very hermit-like uh, or they are only complaining, you know, about how they um, they are sort of immovable and don't bother me. But then there's the other side where uh, society, uh, it, you know, the best support network, whether it's uh, loving family members or friends, they're afraid that whatever they say is going to make it worse because, again, nobody's educated in in just being, uh, you know, companioning the um, uh, the individual. So the dreamscape it, it has so many benefits. You can upload it to social media. You can send it by email. And because of its incongruity, uh, what happens is the um, uh, the client gets all these messages like, "Where did you find that photograph of Ma?" You know, uh, or and and they laugh at this. They enjoy it. It's like it's like an April Fool's joke, an inside joke, and uh, that is probably the unorthodox part of dreamscaping. There are a couple of unorthodox parts. Uh, The vibe that I I told you about earlier, uh, you know, that sort of playful, provocative uh, tone that the therapist might take. Uh, but also uh, just the idea of of even taking a humorous response about a very negative aspect of that complicated relationship. You can still work if they can't find a single positive memory. If they roll their eyes at something, we can work with that, you know, as a memory artist. And then that last bit of, of fooling their support network and drawing them in. It's like a magnet. And then they have something to talk about. That was the problem. They were tongue-tied by grief. Mm, Yes. And not only tongue-tied, but also I think having a starting point for other people to feel comfortable saying, tell me more about this photo, about this person, about this memory. My friend, who's also a fellow mental health professional, recently lost her young niece who died of suicide. And she said that like, she just felt even within her, you know, crowd of other therapists that no one really asked her, tell me about your relationship. Tell me about a memory you've had. Most people kind of just felt like awkward or uncomfortable or, Oh, I'm so sorry. I didn't know. Um, So yeah, I think this creates a beautiful space of like being able to talk about, even if there was um, uncomfortable or negative experiences, what's that like for you? Yeah. Juniper, you just um, you, you you just touched upon something very important. So suicide for those who found uh, their loved one, that is that along with any other kind of traumatic picture is probably the worst picture you know that solidifies in their mind, and that's where dreamscaping would come in. Uh, because it, it would be so difficult to erase that that image through just talk therapy. 
<laughs> and and so um, this this process of plumbing the positive is is a is a really good way uh, to to remind them again of 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 who the person was in the before times. Yes, I'm so glad you mentioned that, and I'm so glad that this process of of dreamscaping does that. This this. Um, because like you said, maybe this is part of the calcification too, is that, yeah, that last memory of the person, you know, in their last days with cancer, or even some people, um, I've, I've worked with a lot of trauma survivors of like gun shooting, mass shootings and things like that. And they will sometimes have an image of something that didn't happen. And that's very traumatizing to them, like that they were shot and like, they can only picture that. So I love that this works with those, what we say, some of us say intrusive thoughts or images. And and this is also why the the tangible dreamscape maybe uh, semi directively should be encouraged in those cases because, you know, I I can never be a hundred percent sure of what the imaginal prescriptive memory is running in the movie until we make it tangible. But I mean, it could be perfectly fine. But in the case of a suicide, what you're doing with the calcified photograph is you're repurposing it. You'll see in the uh, in the book and also in the gallery part of my uh, my website that there are that's what I do. That is what creates the novelty. Uh, So either I find the novelty in the interview or I create the novelty with the client through the process of repurposing the imagery turning it upside down, um, uh, making it mean something else. Like the one that comes to mind, uh, there's a, um, there's a, a mother who is, uh, who's reaching down for something on a coffee table, a completely banal thing. But what we do is we, t- we cut her out and we have her hand placed on her daughter, her biological daughter. And then it's like a holy blessing. So I take in the the faith tradition of uh, of that mother who was searching for her biological child who had since been adopted. So imagine creating, you know, this this new environment, you know, with with a crib and with um, an effigy of 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 Jesus um, in the picture and and the holy blessing of her of her, not only her daughter, but also a picture of her younger self. It becomes like a holy document. And that's, that is the magic that you cannot create just through talk therapy. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> exactly. Because yeah, you're, you sound like what this, this process is tapping into, you know, beyond words, which can be, you know, oh, troublesome. Exactly. And that's that's how the emotional brain works, right? Uh, through nonverbal imagery, symbols, and metaphors, we can. In fact, people uh, who speak in metaphors, many of our clients do. Those are perfect candidates. Uh, but but you also can introduce the idea of metaphor and symbolism, just like I did in that first, the very first dreamscape I made that I told you about. Yeah. And, and as we're talking about this, and I think you, especially with the examples that you're providing, I'm getting a, a better sense um, of what the, the experience or the process is like. But um, if you want to share any more about kind of how this is for the client, what usually ends up happening with them during this process? Um, I know it's probably so varied that it's hard to kind of pin down, but I'm curious in general. I I often say that when the client is crying through their laughter or laughing through their tears, I guess that's probably more apt. Uh, that is when I've hit, I've hit the spot. So, um, you know, it can, it can happen at any point during the process, you know, uh, maybe less so in interviewing, but, um, but certainly in brainstorming and then in, in co-creating that, um, uh, you know, the final uh, dreamscape. Uh, what ha- there's, I mean, they, they are energized. So people who are, and this brings, this brings up a point, well, is this art therapy? Art therapy has come to mean something different. Uh, this would be closer to expressive arts. Uh, and what, what it does is uh, instead of expressing 
the emotion of grief and, and all the surrounding emotions. What it's doing is it's energizing the and enlivening a person who has been numb, uh, you know, numb or um, or just feeling a void uh, or, or or pain or, you know, like, uh, right, uh, just, yeah. just pain from it and 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 just taking them to a new place where they a new liminal place where they can meet their loved one like whether they had a good relationship with them or not they can see the possibility of what their life would have looked like what it looks like now um you know as they include them as guardians in their lives you know depending on what the, the faith tradition is or, or level of spirituality is. And this is a, an important um, graphic, which I have in the book. There are eight, there are actually eight different types of, um, of dreamscapes that a, a therapist can choose from that goes from past to the future. And, and so it's kind of, yeah, I, I hear that it's encompassing not only the the memories of the past, but what's happening right now, and that there's still a relationship. Mm -hmm. Am I hearing that correct? That there's still yes. Uh, this is creating a, re, a redeveloping or reimagining what the relationship right. is now. Right. Yes, absolutely. That's what it is. So what I was talking about before. So let's say I'm, I have this. I have this. Uh, this diagram in front of me now. So it could go from the pleasing past where you're just doing a storytelling portrait, which is more traditional. Well, this was their legacy, you know, sort of like the royal portraits that, that we've seen by Holbein. But it also could be a picture of a memory, something that they had actually experienced, but there was no witness. Then there's the repairable past, where it it would be more of a of a prescriptive memory about concili conciliation uh, and a better yesterday, then it goes into the ideal past where um, this individual, though they've died, they're going to always be in the picture with us. So some clients might say, "Well, here's a picture of our latest vacation. What would it have been like if this individual was with us?" Um, and then it goes into the soothing present. So where are they now? So that might happen more for suicides, uh, for more um, uh, traumatic grief episodes. Is their life pleasant? You know, or, are, are, you know, are they in heaven? Or what does that look like? And to actually construct that environment. And then lastly, a hopeful future, which would be them as guardian watching over you. Uh, or aspirational, like you fulfilling their their aspirations. How could you do that? How could they live on with your goals for yourself? Wow, I love that. The the, the you said eight steps or eight yeah, kind of yeah, process. Yeah, yeah, they're eight wow. steps. Yeah, and that's it's really taking. You know, I'm really I, I'm. I'm not, I'm, I'm a little surprised that, you know, I've been doing this work for a long time and in grief. And it's like, why do, why have I never thought of this future piece? And like, what role should they play in your life now? I, I honestly, that's not something I necessarily have worked with before. And that's just brilliant, actually. Well, you, know? you know, it exists in narrative therapy, but the difference is you can write a story. But if you don't write a story with felt sense memory, with thing, with the actual, with the actual uh, memories in your body uh, and how they felt, then you can't really, um, you don't have the building blocks for creating that new um, that new memory that is constructed through memory reconsolidation, where it pulls up the and updates that long term memory that was upsetting to. That mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yes, I see that. And the expressive piece really is that is also like that somatic experience. You said the felt sense it's yes, exactly. with every sense. And, and yeah, as I was kind of um, learning more about this process with you, I see that you do a lot of trainings that you also teach other clinicians. Is it just therapist or can anyone learn this process? I, I, I do it for clinicians because I mean, 
if I if I'm doing it with a client, I might as well be dreamscaping with them, right? Uh, and and that's what's happening. You know, I do still do that as well, but the training, it, the training is more uh, for a clinician because uh, you cannot. This is not DIY. It's not do it yourself. And um, and I'll explain why. Remember that example I gave you of the chaplain where we had to go through seven different memories. That happens all the time, and where, as you know, um, you know when when you're a clinician, you you notice when people have talked them talk themselves into something, and when they've talked themselves out of something, and they can't do this by themselves. They need someone to study their body language or to uh, listen to the little nuances in language that indicate some. Um, pre-contemplation uh, or some ambiguity or something like that. And that's yeah. why it's hard to do by yourself. Oh, absolutely. And and I can see too, having the training, the clinical training can help, you know, assist with that style of, you know, active listening with your entire body. So yeah, let's get into more of that process of what the the therapist is doing, because there was a part of me that when I saw that, I was like, well, I'm not an artist or, oh, I would, I don't know if I would be able to imagine with a client. Um, yeah. What's so tell me the clinicians kind of, You're right. the, you know, it's amazing, but uh, it's not, no, it's not that amazing. The, people, uh, people are different kinds of learners, right? They're, some are visual, some are uh, audio only. I'm, for example, a visual and audio learner. I need both. And so in the same sense, I will be working with clinicians who, I, 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 you know, they start suggesting, well, maybe we can do it uh, inside the school and there'll be these little desks. Uh, but but I get a sense all of a sudden that they're not really visualizing it. They're just writing a story. And until and and that's that takes time to cultivate, you know, asking, are you really seeing something or are you just writing, writing it for for us? Uh, Because it's very important that they insert themselves in the scene in the same sense that the dreamscape itself, uh, the tangible prescriptive memory should not be um, without a horizon line. You know, the horizon line is what gives you the sense that it's a room or it's a space uh, that you can enter. Otherwise, what you have is sort of the fragments, um, the the chaotic fragments of more of a of a trauma picture. And and not really something that you can move forward with. Yeah. So the the expression of emotion. Right. It's about. uh, it's about action because action is what makes us feel like we're moving forward. Mm-hmm. And yeah, the body understands that it understands it. That's how like the body replies. So yeah. So the clinician is, you know, it sounds like, yeah, it just sounds like a skill that will take, that takes time to build because we, you know, many of us have been trained and that's why that's why with the integrative conversations, we really try to go out way outside of the box because most of us have been trained to have just that cognitive, you know, um, storyline. So yeah. How does one build the skill? How do they know if they're ready? And do you, you, you teach clinicians to actually do this process, right? Right. That's what the trainings are for. And then gotcha. I do mentoring after that to, uh, you know, wow. to, so that they can bring uh, either themselves if they didn't um, have uh, live dreamscaping themselves in the training, then that's when I would do it in the mentoring session. Or they can bring a, a, a case that they're currently working on and we can talk about how they might be able to approach that client. And they would tell me what kind of learner that client is. So again, dreamscaping could be part of long-term therapy, uh, not just a, a short-term intervention. Yeah, yeah. yeah with the assessment pieces. Yeah. So, so you got, you have to keep, you have to keep like knocking on the door. Are you seeing anything? Uh, and if they're not, you just help them with it. Like little by little, here's, here's the room here. You know, think of it like a dollhouse essentially, or a theater stage. I mm-hmm. use that uh, analogy. Yeah. So the goal of the clinician, one of the goals is like to just really help the client 
get that story, that memory, that felt sense. That's probably- and to test, to keep testing whether they are really doing it. Yeah. Because, because it, it's not about you having, you know, artistic talent. You don't have to be a director and you don't have to be a photo collage artist to do this. Mm-hmm. You, t- you just have to feel like you are mentalizing what's inside your client's head. Mm. So would you say that you are also walking in that memory with a felt sense or is it something different? Uh, Yes. Yes. That's what I'm hoping, you know, is happening. And that even in the training that everybody who's not in the, in the live demo is also sensing what, what's happening inside that clinician's head. And that is, that's, that's amazing. So now I'm really understanding when you say that maybe um, say the client does have skill or interest in creating their own, when you have two different ones to see the the difference of how the felt sense was for your experience and theirs, I can see that being interesting because that's, that does kind of um, happen to me in session a lot where I'll just start to have this like whole image and I thing coming up and I sometimes will share and I'm like, does this mean anything to you? And they're like, oh my gosh, I, you know, that's interesting. That's so I love that there's a co-creation here. Yeah. You know, is that true? I have, I have a question for you. So Mm -hmm. I I bet you that more clinicians, I'm just a hypothesis that during a uh, a trauma, say rape or something just horrendous, it, it might be easier for the clinician to imagine what that's like mm. because it's conjuring up um, much, you know, much more um, tra- traumatic emotions, negative responses. And uh, it might be easier for the clinician to do that. But but in dreamscaping, uh, it, it, it's, it, you know, it's may, there may be, uh, remembering a memory that is not traumatic, uh, that's beautiful. And maybe that's, that's why it's harder. Because uh-huh. we have a negative bias, right? And therefore spend more time with the negative that's that's interesting, and I'm yeah I haven't seen any you know research on that, but I could bet I, no I haven't either, but yeah. I wonder I could I I could wonder too, and and yeah like that's but that's some of the beautiful parts of working with grief is that there's so many waves and flows of emotion, and and some people are confused on why in one minute there's this just you know you know utter sadness, but then right with it is like joy or hope or you know like it's they can come so closely together and it can be. Yeah. Right? Yeah. We've already gotten into this um, because you, you just, you discussed the difference of this process with narrative therapy, which it, you're right. There is some, I guess, um, similar overlap, but it, it, you know, can you discuss any more about how this process you said, well, you also discussed how it's different than art therapy. I'm going to move beyond that. And it's uh, similar to EMDR and that is resourcing. Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, Okay. Yeah. So moving on yet first, is there anything else that you, that would love to be said about um, this process? And then if not, we'll move on to maybe talking about your book and then how people can get in touch with you, or if they're really interested in learning more, what that would look like. What I would like people to know is that um, I, I really want to bring that point home that you don't have to be artistic uh, to to do this, you know, people would say that they might be too exhausted for art therapy uh, because the understanding there is that they would have to think about the terrible thing. Uh, they would they would bring up uh, images of photographs again that we talked about that are calcified and grief. Uh, but but here there is nothing to be terrified of. Uh, there really is just the endless um, amount of memories, almost like potato chips. They just come one after the other. People who say, oh, I, I can't remember a thing. You'd be surprised. Uh, it, it just They just one tumbles out after the other. And even though we do have that, uh, that negativity bias, once you get started and you exercise this muscle, it just keeps keeps going um, towards the joy and excitement. And that that is um, very, very rewarding and reinforcing. Yeah, that's beautiful. And, and in that, 
what do you love most about this process? Or what's one thing that just fills you up? And I think that um, I love that eureka moment when uh, we when we add incongruity or novelty to the piece. You'll you'll notice if you go to the gallery pages that there's always something really quirky there. Uh, that um, you know, in dream logic. Uh, could look totally real for them. And just the, when the client comes up with that, that's a that's a beautiful thing. And so one of the biggest questions that happens in um, in the training is clients saying, but you know, when when do I put in my idea? What happens if I like if they're an expressive arts therapist or an art therapist? What if I have a great idea? You know, should I just tell them my great idea? I mean, you it's a collaborative process. It's semi-directive in the sense that you're constantly testing whether whether they're getting really that positive emotional charge. But it's also, you know, it, it, it's also just the 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 pursuit of um, of the positive. Uh, it it has it has to be based on something that the client comes up with themselves. Just like in any other session, right? In any other therapy session, uh, we can't give them an idea of how to be better people. Uh, we can't give them advice. We can't work harder than the client themselves. In the same way in dreamscaping, there has to be some kernel of something, that, uh, an image that they saw, a joke they heard, something uh, that they can hold on to. That the that the the therapist can build upon or nudge a little bit forward. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, and that that piece is so important. And I'm just going to kind of put this in here, and then we'll move to the um, the bit about how if someone's interested in both either being a client um, or a clinician, how, mm -hmm. how what's a great way to move forward? And I was going to bring up your book, but but before that, like I'm curious because. Um, what, what I see a lot, and I, I'm wondering if this is part of the part of the grief process that could be helpful for, for dreamscaping, but that people have not even began begun the grieving process. They just have shut it out. I've had recently several clients come in and, and it's about their parents. And they were like, you know, I haven't even touched it. I'm, I'm petrified to go into it. I'm scared. So it's been a year and I haven't touched it. Right. How would you approach a client like that? Yeah. Would that be, would dreamscaping um, be a great I way them, in? I, I would take them through other cases and just, uh, you know, in the same way that a, a dentist might show you uh, a jaw and uh, and the different tools and what, what they plan to do in your mouth. They're going to add a little topical anesthetic. They're going to, you know, scratch around there. Um, yeah, I think that, that that's the best way to show examples. And that's that's particularly why I have a gallery on my site. The gallery is very interesting in that it shows um, the original photos that came from the client and how they were repurposed into um, the final uh, dreamscape. This is not to say that, again, every image, sorry, every uh, dreamscaping session ends in a tangible dreamscape because it doesn't. Uh, many, many just end up in the imaginal form. But you will see uh, the case written out uh, where they'll say um, this was the type of uh, of grief that they had. It was complicated or it wasn't. Uh, and um, they didn't realize that their unmet need was this, but it came out, uh, you know, during the process. And then, um, and then this is what we decided upon because it achieved A, B, C, and D. It, it consolidated some things for them. So the idea is that the final dreamscape gives you a dose, you know, a, a, a dose of joy or inspiration uh, or hopefulness. And uh, I think that's the best way to get them into it. Mm, yes. And I love the gallery. Anyone listening, I highly suggest to check that out on your website. It was really, it was incredible to, to see these, these photos that people have supplied and then what that memory was associated. It was amazing. Did um, you have yeah. a favorite? Um, you know, I, I can't recall any right now, but the, I do have the image of a photo of an older gentleman that looked like from the, like the twenties. 
I don't know where that's coming from, but like, I remember that one, but yeah, I, I can't recall right this moment, <laughs> but let me, let's get into how would, so I'm not trained, but I already can think of like three clients I think would be great for this. So let's get into how to refer. If we're interested, how to take one of your trainings is the book, um, is the book sufficient for training or yeah, get just walk us through the process of yeah, referral. I, I think the book is, is really good in showing um, how different types of clinicians ran with the, with the process, including myself. And uh, at that point, um, at that point I had an art therapist uh, who worked also with a, uh, with a, a clinician um, I have a, um, a clinical social worker and an art therapist working together. And I had a Robert Niemeyer, who is, you know, a renowned grief therapist who has worked for decades on, on, on you know, understanding his father's suicide. And yet we discovered something new which I won't give away, but um, it just goes to show you, you can uh, do the work, quote unquote, and still through dreamscaping, mentalize perhaps a little bit, uh, a little bit better what was going on in, um, in the mind of the deceased uh, in ways that maybe you hadn't thought of before. Uh, but, but by studying their, their photographs, their interests, uh, you learn something more. So is there a directory of therapists to refer to if uh, somebody would like to refer a client to this for this process? Trained? Uh, not as yet. There is not a directory. It's really quite young because uh, you have to remember that only at age 60 in 2020 did I graduate as a, um, a licensed clinical social worker. So everybody has to be patient. There, there, are, two <laughs> there, there are two ways in which... Um, I can continue to uh, to teach and to provide CEUs, and that is, uh, I can do it through the Expressive Arts uh, Summit, and there, there's uh, the Los Angeles Expressive Therapy Summit coming up. Uh, the training is mentioned um, on my website. Uh, there's AIDA, the International Expressive Arts uh, Therapy Association, where I just did a training in January. And, uh, and then, of course, there is the Portland Institute of, for Loss and Transition. So that's Robert Niemeyer's creation. And there, um, uh, uh, clinicians can go there and take the Artists' Grief Therapy Certification Program. Uh, they can take the training in an asynchronous, asynchronous online uh, uh, program, and then they can do mentoring with me, ongoing mentoring. Uh, so that those are the three ways at this at the present time. And then I'm sorry, there is a third way uh, through BAVA, my group practice. We, we are offering um, uh, certification just for New Yorkers at, at present. Um, uh, we're offering CEUs for every uh, training hour in dreamscaping. Yeah. And I appreciate you talking about the youngness of this modality and, but yet I see it being around for a long time. And it's so, it's such a beautiful gift that you're offering not only your clients, but also clinicians to be able to explore um, this expressive way of moving in grief. And, and, and it's something I just love it. I, I, I'm sold. <laughs> That's what I was saying. Now are you, so like would can you do this um, um, via telehealth? And like, so if I had a client to refer to you, I could, okay. Completely. Again, you, uh, it's like a, a normal therapy session. You're talking to each other. Uh, and then there's the sharing of the screen for photo search and looking at their photos. Uh, and you can even have Photoshop uh, shared where you can assemble it together or, or maybe some other program, you know, uh, some simpler program. Amazing. Yes. Well, I am aware of the time and I want to be respectful. I really appreciate you um, sharing about your process, your experience, and I'm, I'm so excited to learn more and I will be sharing that in the show notes. <laughs> Absolutely indebted to you uh, because it is in its infancy. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So excited. Well, thank you so much. And yeah, we'll have everything in the show notes and hopefully this is the beginning of, of other conversations. <laughs> All right, wonderful. And I'll put those three uh, institutions 
down for anyone who's interested in pursuing uh, more training. Excellent. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks so much for joining us today. Make sure to check out the show notes for all of the resources mentioned in the episode, including links to where you can learn more about Nancy and the dreamscaping process. And remember, we always love to hear from you. Is there a topic you want to learn more about or a guest you think would be perfect for our show? How can we support you as a mental health professional in your own learning and growing journey? Reach out to us at www.academyimh.com or on Instagram at academy.imh and let us know. As always, take good care of yourself and we'll talk again soon.